Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for the Christmas week and we thank you, God, that we are here together. God, it is special to be in church in the holidays and as this, this morning service is testifying to God, it's just good for us to be here. We thank you, God, that our, our schedules, our lives, our families, our vehicles, everything has afforded us the opportunity to make it. God, thank you for bringing us here. We understand enough to know, God, that we need you. So we ask that today, Father, you would reveal that to us, reveal yourself to us, and convince us of that by your power through the Spirit and the Word. So God, we look to the Word. We want to hear what you are saying, and may we respond. Oh, Father, move in our lives today for the glory of your Son. In His name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. We have the Black Pew Bibles there in front of you. It'll be page 941 in the Pew Bible. 941 in the Pew Bible. All through December, I have been preaching a series, a Christmas series, on the promises of God. And we started off week one with the promise needed that you and I are in a position where we need to hear a promise from God. Our sins have left us in a position where we're not right, we need help, we need God, and so we need a promise. But then the second week we saw that God gives promises. If you know anything about God, you know that He has spoken in the Bible. The Word of God is full of many promises from God. And so those who need a promise have been given a promise. But then we live in this time, this is what we looked at last week, of anticipation where we are, we are waiting for these promises to come true. We are waiting, we are anticipating God to fulfill His promises. And then today, here we are, the last Sunday before Christmas, this being our Christmas Sunday, we will look at God who keeps His promises. God, the promise keeper. God, the one who fulfills His promises. God being the one, listen to me, who has never, ever let somebody down. Now listen, we often are let down by friends or family members or co-workers or that sort of thing. Many of us have come to know that there are letdowns in life. That's just the way it goes. But God teaches us that in, with God there are, not, there are no letdowns. He keeps His promises. That's good for us at Christmas time. Because we find ourselves in life, and especially during the holidays really needing God to be the answer to our desires. This has been a full week for us. There's been a lot going on. My heart's always stirred up at Christmas time anyway because uh, my mind goes back to my childhood with my mom and dad and my sister and, and how Christmas was so special because I grew up in one of those families where, where all my dad did was, would work. He, he worked all the time. Blue-collar dad that worked all the time. And, and so he was often not around. He, he sometimes didn't get to make my ball games. And, and he came home from work and ate dinner and was too tired and went to bed. And, and that was his life. And, and, and I was okay with that. He was a good dad that was present. But he worked all the time. But there was always Christmas that we looked forward to where dad got a week off and it was something like I'd never seen before he'd wake up on Christmas morning and he'd make grits he'd wake up on Christmas morning and he'd have the Christmas music playing or he'd make sausage balls and he never cooked 364 days out of the year never came close to cooking any other day but on Christmas he would and I've got memories of that and it's awesome but I've also got memories of of, of tough times 
And this week, some of those were highlighted. We did three funerals this week in the life of our church. Not everybody connected to our church, but three funerals, and that was hard. Miss Dorothy Stivers is here this morning, and this is the very first Sunday for her without her husband. Her husband was buried this week. Miss Dorothy, we love you. We know that that's hard, and so the emotions are, are difficult right now. We got a call from Miss Brenda Wood, who went to New York because her mother passed away this week, and so she's not with us, and she's in New York dealing with that right now. And yet, Christmas is an awesome time for Fairdale because the King of the Bluegrass Basketball Holiday Classic's here, and we love that. The, the, the city is hopping, the, the high school's packed, there's all types of good stuff going on with basketball, and we love that. This is like the highlight week of the year for Fairdale High School in sports. It's awesome, and we love that. So my, my emotions are going crazy. On top of that, I did a wedding yesterday and got to celebrate two young people in our church becoming uh, married. That was awesome. And then this week, I sat with a family just downstairs who were homeless. A husband and a wife and children. They don't have a home. And they were crying. And they didn't know what to do. They didn't know where to turn. They had just recently gotten jobs. They are working. But the money's not necessarily flowing yet. They can't afford to live anywhere. They're going to spend Christmas without a home. And they came here crying, saying, what, where can you point us? What can you do? The emotions are all over the place. And sometimes we find ourselves going, well, we'll just keep our heads up. We'll keep pushing through. But to everybody who's ever tried hard, you know that there comes a point, ultimately, where keeping your head up still doesn't give you answers. We need a God who's there for us. We need a God who gives promises. And we need a God who keeps His promises. And there's no better time to understand that than at Christmas. I ask you to look with me at Luke chapter 1. We'll start reading at verse 39. I chose this passage because this is the passage that's kind of always left out at Christmas time. You read the ones about Jesus being born. You read the ones about Mary. But this is one that, that this, this kind of fills in the gap. It's a short passage. So read with me, if you will, Luke chapter 1, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I'm going to give you two points today, very simple. Two words to remember as you approach Christmas. Number one, response. And number two, reward. Number one, response. And number two, reward. Let's look at the response in this passage starting in verse 39. It says, in those days. Well, what, what days is it referring to? If you look back just a little bit, you see that starting in verse 5 of chapter 1, the angel, the angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah and Elizabeth and says that you're going to have a baby. And these two are taken back. Like, what do you mean we're going to have a baby? It says that Elizabeth was barren and they were a little bit older and so they had never had a child. They didn't think they could have children. And the angel comes and says, no, Zachariah and Elizabeth, you're going to have a baby. 
And so they're thrilled. They're excited. And John didn't even necessarily... Zechariah didn't even necessarily believe it at first. And so God made him not be able to talk until the baby was born. And then right after that, if you look at verse 26, this same angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, Mary, you have found favor in the eyes of God and you're going to have a baby. Well, the thing about Mary is that she was young. Most scholars say she was like maybe 14 or 15 years old. She had never been with a man. She was a virgin. She had never had sex before. How is she going to have a baby? So you got Zachariah and Elizabeth found with baby. They couldn't have children. They were older and never been able to. Then you got uh, Mary having uh, pregnant, and, and she never even been with a man. God is doing this. It's a, it's a special thing. Zechariah didn't even believe it, so God made him not be able to talk until the baby was born. Mary believed it. If you look in, in verse uh, 30 of chapter 1, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And I love this line. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Listen to this. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary, young Mary, you're about to have a baby and he's going to be the king of eternity. He's going to be the greatest person that there's ever been forever and ever and always. Mary, how about that? Mary believes it. She asks a question that's more kind of like, well, how's that going to happen? But she believes it. Look what she says in verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? It's almost like Mary's saying, all right, cool. I know I need a Savior and you're sending the Savior, that's great. But, but how's this going to happen? And then God answers that in verse 35. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will do this to you. He will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. But then the angel goes on and tells Mary about her cousin Elizabeth. He says, verse 36, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, look at this statement. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary is believing that the angel says this. In many ways, the most absurd thing ever that a virgin is going to have a baby, and Mary believes it because she believes in God. And so when you look at verse 39, it says, in those days. The days it's talking about are the days in which her barren cousin Elizabeth is pregnant. And also during the days where she has just been told she's about to be pregnant. During those days, Mary arose and went with haste. There's the first thing that I want you to see about a response. Since when would a, would a dignified Jew like Mary hop up in haste and get somewhere? I love the word haste. And I pointed this out during the week here at our church. Haste is a word we don't use much anymore, but it's a good word. There's a couple good Bible words that I wish we used. Like zeal is one of my favorite words. The Bible says that somebody leads, they ought to lead with zeal. There ought to be an energy and a passion and a fervor about leaders, the Bible says. Zeal. You don't hear people use that word much. But you don't hear haste that much either. Let's go. Let's go. Let's get to it. There's something that we've got to do. We've got to go. Let's, let's make this happen. And the Bible says that during those days, Mary gets up with haste. What's the haste coming from? What's creating this? God is sending His Savior into the world. 
You might say, as you look at the whole of history, redemptive history, God's plan to save people, that it's go time. We've heard for a long time that God was sending a Savior. He's now coming. He's now coming to the womb. He's almost here. You might say that the cross of Christ for the redemption of sinners is only about 33 years away at this point because the baby's in the womb. It's go time. Mary gets up with haste. That's the first response you see is that she gets up and she goes. She goes to the hill country. Keep reading with me. She goes to a town in Judah and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now, it doesn't tell us what town she went to. We don't know what town she went to. But we do know that if you're traveling from Nazareth to this town in Judah, that it's about 80 miles, maybe 100 miles, somewhere 80 to 100 miles. You're talking about three to four day travel is what Mary had just done. She went with haste. She wanted to see Elizabeth. Verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Now this is good stuff. You know what it's like to have relatives visit from out of town. We happen to have uh, seven of our family members with us this week and we're happy that we're here. Val's whole family is here going to spend Christmas with us. And we've been telling our, our, our kids that they're coming, that they're coming, that they're coming. And so every time the postman uh, rang the doorbell this week, they say, they're here, they're here. And they go and it would just be a package sitting on the, on the front porch and it wasn't them. But sometime yesterday evening, they got here about four o'clock. There was a knock on the door. And the kids ran to the door and it was their grandparents. And it was awesome. Their grandparents had come 500 miles from Charlotte, North Carolina to come and stay with us. And the kids who haven't seen them in months were so thrilled for that. Y'all know what it's like when a relative you haven't seen in a while comes over. It's a great feeling. The Bible says that Mary leaves with haste and she goes to see Elizabeth. And when she walks into the house, she greets Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is happy. But you know what it says first? The baby leaped in her womb. This is perplexing. What in the world is this? Now we know Val is six months pregnant right now and that baby's moving a lot in her womb, but the Bible is not wanting us to know. Luke writing this is not wanting you and I to think that Elizabeth was just having a kicking baby. The Bible has been written here that you and I would see that this baby was aware that the Savior was coming. Let me show you what I mean. The baby in the womb that leaped is John the Baptist. I think you know that. Look with me at chapter 1, verse 15. This is very rare. You don't have this normally. But in chapter 1, verse 15, talking about John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb, it says, He will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, when will he be filled with the Holy Spirit? Look what it says next. Even from his mother's womb. Y'all, John the Baptist was a rare dude. The Bible says he was weird, long hair, big beard, wore camel skin, ate locusts and honey. He was a weird dude. Because the only reason he was coming was to pave the way for Jesus. But the Bible tells us right there that John the Baptist is one of the only guys ever who had the Holy Spirit from birth. He had the Holy Spirit in the womb. People don't get the Holy Spirit until they get saved, until they believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's when you get the Holy Spirit, the Bible teaches. But John the Baptist had it from birth. And the Bible is wanting us to connect right here, verse 15, that John had the Holy Spirit in the womb, with verse 41, that the baby leaped. Somehow, by the power of God and the Holy Spirit, 
when Mary walks in, now freshly pregnant with King, Lord, Savior Jesus, in Elizabeth's womb, the baby leaps. That's the second response we see. We see Mary getting up and going with haste. We see a baby in the womb leaping because of this. But then look. Verse 41, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So not only is the baby filled with the Holy Spirit already, John the Baptist, but now Elizabeth is. God is inside of her and she exclaims. She exclaimed with a loud cry and she says several things. Blessed are you among women. Who's she talking to? Mary. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? I want to show you something else here about the response. We have Elizabeth responding to this, right? We have Mary coming to visit her, and we would assume that all the times that Mary and Elizabeth had visited each other before this, that this big uh, interchange had not happened. Why would it have happened? But now we have the presence of the Holy Spirit. And let's think about this. We don't have anything in here that lets us know that Elizabeth knew. How did she know that Mary was pregnant? She wasn't showing Now, maybe, maybe, maybe Mary came and said, hey, guess what? And Luke just left that out. There is a maybe. But I'm going to tell you all that I think no. I think the emphasis here is on the Holy Spirit is what enables people to respond. The reason why the baby in the womb leaps is because he had the Holy Spirit. The reason why Elizabeth is exclaiming is because... She was filled with the Holy Spirit. Folks, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is God who is at work in people's lives convicting us of our sins and pointing us to the Savior. The person who doesn't want the Holy Spirit in their lives is the person who does not know and love God. They very well might know about God, but they don't know and love God. It is the Holy Spirit's work to be continually pointing us and pushing us towards loving God. Now the Bible tells us that we can resist the Holy Spirit. We can quench the Holy Spirit. That we can reject the Holy Spirit. I encourage you to not do that. But what we see happening here is response after response after response. You have Mary going in haste. You have the baby jumping in the womb. You have Elizabeth saying all this great stuff. And then in verse 43, she says, Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Mary is there and she's going to give birth to Jesus, but she hasn't yet. And when she gives birth to Jesus, there's nothing special about him that anybody else could see. He's a little baby. He needed his diapers changed like any other baby. But he would grow up and everybody would know that this is God. But Elizabeth, with the Holy Spirit here, says, the mother of my Lord. And then verse 44 she says, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So then Elizabeth gives us a little bit of commentary about why the baby's jumping. Here's why my baby jumped. Because you spoke. And when you spoke, the baby knew that you're the mother of Jesus. You're the mother of the Savior. 
See, when you start looking at what the whole Bible's message is, it's very clear that it is wanting to inform us that we are a sinful people. We are a needy people. Our call to worship this morning was Psalm 88. And in that whole psalm, it's talking about how hard life is. It's talking about the darkness and the struggle and the difficulty that comes with life. And you may be in that right now, and you may not be in that right now, but you know that life is filled with that. Life is full of ups and downs. If we're honest with ourselves, we know that it's not always all good. The Bible is not shying away from that and telling us that, that we are people who have disobeyed and who have rebelled. The Bible wants us to know that so that we would be ready for God's promises. And then God starts giving us promises. Three weeks ago I preached how in Genesis 3, God tells the serpent, and God tells Eve, that Eve's offspring, pointing to Jesus, would crush the serpent's head. You remember the serpent in the Garden of Eden was the devil. And even though the devil got Eve to sin in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden, God comes back with a promise and says, your head is going to be crushed, which means a fatal blow. You're going to die. Who's going to kill and defeat Satan? The offspring of Eve, which ultimately is Jesus on the cross. See, the Bible teaches us that Jesus came to die. He lived, he was born as a baby, and he lived, he grew up. He traveled around, and he had this amazing, polarizing aura about Jesus that he was ugly, he was poor, he was very lowly. He had a tendency to, to drift toward the outcasts. He hung out with prostitutes. He was okay with drug addicts. He was okay with alcoholics. He was okay with demon-possessed people. He just drifted toward the people who seemed to be out there and struggling and wayward or whatever. But he was always teaching truth. And as Jesus was teaching truth and teaching truth and teaching truth, people started to think, this guy doesn't look like God. But he talks like God. He seems to be God. But he doesn't look like God. He, he's not, he doesn't seem to be what we're looking at as a king. But he, but he seems to be. People are trying to deal with that. The reason why he was complexing in that sense is because he came to die. He wasn't ready to ride in with a big shield and a sword and a crown and say, I'm King Jesus. Everybody's going to worship me now. That's not his way. Jesus comes and He gets low and He bows Himself down. He takes a towel, He washes feet and He goes to people that are hurting. He said, I didn't come for the, those that are well. I came for those that are sick. I didn't, come to those, I didn't come for those that were found. I'm, I'm coming for those that were lost. I came to save the world. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. I came to give away my life to ransom you people. I came to shed my blood to wash you clean. That's why I've come. And so they come and they arrest Him. And some of his people, like Peter, come up and try to fight when they arrest Jesus to take him. And they're trying to fight and protect Jesus. And Jesus turns around and says, Peter, you don't need to fight for me. You don't need to protect me. This is why I've come. Jesus says, leave my guys alone. But then they take him and Jesus is arrested. And they take Jesus and they many times beat him as much as you can beat somebody. They spit in his face. I'm not sure if you've ever been spit in the face before, but it's... It'll get a response out of you, that's for sure. They pluck his beard. They mock him. They mock him, they mock him, they mock him. And then they're ready to kill him. They're going to crucify him. 
And Jesus makes a statement that says, nobody takes my life from me. Oh, they were about to take His life. They were filled with hatred and evil and they were going to kill Him. Jesus says, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down. He's reminding us, I'm, I'm fulfilling a plan. Jesus came and went to the cross and died on the cross, suffered and died, shed His blood. And when He died, God had died for our sins. They buried Him in a grave. They took Him down, buried Him in a grave. Everybody for three days thought, what in the world is going on? This sure does throw a kink in everything that we've thought about God. We don't, know, we don't know what our hope is. But Jesus had said, three days later, I'll raise it up. He had made a promise. They didn't understand the promises. But then on the third day, He was back. He was back. He was alive. He showed Himself to many people. And as it started to make sense, it started to click, the understanding came, they realized this, that sin and death and the devil and everything that we have read and heard and learned about God now has come true. Now is making sense. God has sent His Savior into the world and His Savior just doesn't come and pass out tickets to heaven. The Savior comes and deals with sins. And this is such good news for us. Because we are a people who know that our emotions are all over the place. We are a people who know that even on our best days, we can't get rid of our bad days. We are people who know that even when we have been so pure and clean on a Saturday, we've still got a filthy Friday that we're remembering. We are a sinful people. Jesus came to die for our sins. Christmas brings about a response. That's what we're seeing here. There's a response when Mary knows that she's going to give birth to Jesus. She goes in haste. There's a response from John the Baptist in the womb when he knows that Jesus is on the way. There's a response from Elizabeth when she knows that Mary, the mother of her Lord, is now in her house. And I want to ask you here today, in your heart and in your soul, is there a response in you to knowing that Jesus Christ, the virgin-born baby, is your Lord and Savior? Does your heart know that God is what life's about? Does your heart know that the one thing that is missing in your life is the supremacy of God, is the glory of God, is the worship in your heart toward God? And Christmas is a reminder of that. I want to read a passage to you. You don't need to turn there. But I think it talks about the response that comes when all of a sudden the truth and power of God makes sense. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and the apostles have just healed a man who could not walk. He could not walk. He was a lame beggar. And he had just been healed in chapter 3. And so the, the, the Jewish leaders are now upset. They're mad about this. Why, why did you do this? And you're teaching everybody about Jesus and everybody's getting upset and we don't like this. In chapter 4, verse 5, listen to me. It says, On the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power, by what name did you do this? That's the question. How did you heal this man? Verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, 
If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by Him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has been which has become the cornerstone. Listen to this verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Christ is the only way for people to be right with God. Verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, I'm telling you to recognize their response, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that they may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So here's what they had concluded. We cannot let this continue on. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go tell these men, these uneducated, common men, okay, who really posed no threat except for they brought Jesus with them. They say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell them they cannot speak anymore. That's what we'll do. We'll tell them they cannot speak anymore. Verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Verse 19. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. Look at verse 20. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Folks, what John and Peter were saying there is the response that is happening in my heart to what Jesus Christ has done cannot be stopped. It is the natural Holy Spirit's power to make me somebody who now lives for Jesus. When Jesus is there, response will happen. I ask you now at this Christmas, is there a response in your heart and in your life? Because of who Jesus is? Because of Him being a risen Lord? Because of Him being one who offers forgiveness of sins? Is your life being marked by a response to God and who He is and what He's done? I encourage you today that you would be responding. That you would be saying, God, forgive me of my sins. God, bring me to Yourself. God, make me pure. Make me clean. God, fill my life with what You can do. Fill my life with You and Your presence. Fill my life with joy. But not only is there a response, we see that there is a reward. Verse 45 says, since our last verse, and blessed is she, this is still Elizabeth talking, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth recognizes that one of the most awesome parts of the whole Christmas story is that a virgin is told by an angel, you're going to have a baby. And Mary says, okay. Elizabeth recognizes that faith is beautiful. 
Elizabeth recognizes that faith is powerful. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And you may have come here today thinking that your life is pleasing to God. And there's a lot of goodness in your life, except there's not a surrender to Christ, which is faith. The Bible wants you to know that all of that goodness does not please God. For it's impossible to please Him apart from a faith in Christ that says, You are Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. I repent. One commentator says that she believes God's promise that she will bear the Messianic Savior child. The fulfillment of a promise to her is the reader's assurance, you and I, that the rest of God's promises will come to pass. You and I can have assurance that God will make all things new and all things right and that there is a heaven, a true heaven for us with safety and security. You and I can trust that, that it will happen because we have seen God already fulfill His promises. We know that God will keep His promises because all we have ever seen is God keeping His promises. The lesson here is in the final remark. Blessing comes to the one who has believed God. Mary's example of faith is to be emulated. I want to ask you here today at Christmas, do you believe God? Do you believe that He is great and that you've sinned against Him? Do you believe that you fall short of His glory? And yet, do you believe that in that tough position that He loves you in such a way that He's not going to let you go? Do you believe that despite who you are, He has a devotion to you that will never let you go? And in that devotion toward you, He sent Jesus to make things right. Do you know that the Bible says that Jesus took the wrath of God for us so that we don't have to? Do you believe that one day you can stand before God in judgment and it be all good? Because the Bible says that. The Bible says that God will say to some people that He no longer sees their sins and that as far as the east is from the west is how far God has removed our sins. Do you believe here today that though your sins are many, God doesn't even recognize them because of what Christ has done? Christmas is about that Jesus coming to bring us to God. Today's the 21st. Christmas is Thursday. I pray that here today you would respond to the truth of Christ and who He is. And your life would be rewarded with knowing you are right with God. And that all of God's promises are yours through faith. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. And we thank you, God, that you have given us truth to cling to. We thank You, God, that You have given us answers in the Scripture for the things that our heart cries out for. And God, for all of the funerals and for all the ups and downs and for all the bad news that, that we have been dealing with this week, God, and we pray that Your promises would be an anchor to our soul and we would be believing. God, thank You for Mary's example that she believes in the, in the wildest of news. She believes You. And thank You, God, that we have seen it come true. God, we wait for You to come back and rescue us. In the meantime, God, 
May our lives be filled with a response toward You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.